Hello, dear listener, and a very warm welcome to another special episode of Die Gestalten Podcast. My name is Martin Groschwald, and as always, I'm your host when it comes to having guests on the show. And in this episode now, we want to talk a little bit about a very big topic that is part of the not just car industry, but mobility industry, which is the topic of experience design and user experience. And for this topic, I have invited someone that I have known for a very long time, uh, someone that I have highest respect for, which is a, uh, you know, another German native speaker. However, coming from Austria, it's the absolutely lovely Christian Eckert, the CEO of Icon Mobile in the US. Chris, hello. How hello, are Martin. Things? Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. We've been we've been actually planning this for quite a long time, so I'm very happy we we managed this. Is uh, you know this recording is happening on a Friday. It's uh, just past six o'clock in Germany, and you are of course in LA, so it's the early morning for you. So I appreciate you getting up so early because I know you designers like to sleep in, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. No, but I, in, I invite you over to our studio, and then. Um, You'll, we'll have our first uh, coffee in the morning, maybe at 6 a.m. As, as, oh. as, that's rather our drive over here. <laughs> that's, that's probably the digital side. You know, the digital side is <laughs> the a digital little part. bit... Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's a, a pleasure, yes. Great. All right, so I'll, let's talk a little bit about you before we, before we head in. You've, uh, you've almost been in the industry now for 20 years, mm -hmm. uh, if I remember correctly. You have worked for companies such as BMW. You were in charge of the entire product experience at Faraday Future when they were going uh, crazy back in 2015. You have been leading Icon Incar, which is one of the, I think, most important user interface and user experience companies within the transportation uh, industry. And now you are pretty much running the show for Icon Mobile in California over there. So did I forget anything there? Or is that really like a very short summary of what you've been up to over the past almost 20 years? <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's a pretty good summary. Yeah, that's a pretty good summary. Pretty much being in, in that space now for 20 years, um, experience design, user experience design, um, more and more into innovation strategy as well. And as you say, uh, being in all in like these three big spaces of the, the OEM side, the corporate world, the agency and consultancy world, and and as you mentioned, also with very future, um, the very exciting um, new mobility startup world over here in California, and now back in a space where we do um, innovation and experience design, not just for the automotive, but also for mm -hmm. the mobility space. Yeah, and this is exactly where we want to get to a little bit later on in this conversation. We want to talk a bit more about mobility rather than just uh, the car and automotive industry. But I want to actually talk. And start about the car industry because this is where you know we as the podcast still have the the most listeners from and i want to ask you one thing in particular which is something that i always struggle with when i speak to people from the experience perspective what would you define as an experience when it comes to a car because i you know i, I get to the point of everybody gives me a different definition The exterior designers have something different than the interior designers. The digital designers have something different as well. So for someone with your experience, how, how would you define it nowadays in 2020? And what, what, where does it you know, differentiate from, from the past few years? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, one of the big, that's probably one of the core questions, really. Uh, so, so thanks for asking this. Um, because as you say, I think you get all these different answers because a car is still something extremely individual and what you experience driving a car somewhere is extremely different to what i experience and so this is probably also why you get so many different answers because it is so uh, individual and it's such a personal thing and so it is also not very function not only functional but it's also very emotional still it is yes for a lot of people it's maybe just getting from a to b But then again, um, for most people, it's more than that. It's, it's how the car looks like on the outside, exterior, the inside, the materials, acceleration, sound, pretty much all senses. And I think um, the, the experience really includes all of these senses. And then, of course, on top of that is, is what I think is crucial is relevance. Like the things 
that you experience are important to you when they have a relevance to you, when they're relevant. And for me, it's more than just these senses, but it's also offering services that help you in what, you, what you're doing and supporting what you're doing. And especially these days, when we have this, you know, we're transitioning to this new era of mobility where it's more than just driving, um, an era of, you know, connectivity and autonomous driving, electrification, sort of, or car sharing, new ownership models. So this vehicle really becomes a vehicle of experiences and it can be so many things because that car or a car can become your office, your living room, your, your um, just your, your public transportation systems. So it's really these days um, being able to offer these different product experiences and service experience and brand experiences that mm. in, my, in my experience need to be tailored to what you specifically need in that very moment. And that's kind of like where I think experience really comes in place. Mm. And how would you think to combine this when it comes to the haptical side? Um, you know, we, I mean, we had a number of conversations about this in the past when we were sitting down in LA and the, yeah, obviously in Germany as well, but the combination of the haptical side with this experience, which can be tangible, but can also be not tangible is, uh, is an, is an ever evolving problem and an ever evolving, you know, uh, challenge in, in the entire process of building these experience. So what, what, what is your experience based on, you know, projects that you've done or like, you know, companies that you work with, such as BMW or Faraday, how do they integrate that nowadays? How is the communication with, you know, the haptic experience? And then speaking of, of course, interior designers, exterior designers, color and trim designers, not to forget, I mean, the experience with, you know, how a material feels is as important and how it looks. Well, it changes. It, it, it really changed a lot um, over the last 10, 15 years. Um, I, I think the startups and the, the new companies coming up have a big advantage because there's less legacy and they can create um, products in a different way with different structures, different team setups, different processes. So less legacy and therefore more freedom to create experiences in a different way, in a faster way. Um, I feel back, you know, 20 years ago when I was at BMW, it was definitely a lot of silos. You know, you have the mm -hmm. UI design department, you have the UX department, you have the engineers, you have color materials. And it was not very holistic back then, um, especially in the digital experience. Um, just because you had a lot of separation And one of the things we did at Faraday, for example, is we changed that setup. So what I did was kind of like changing the more traditional setup of a design department where you have um, UI, UX design, color material, and so on, into a more technology-driven setup where you have um, a similar organization and structure that you would find at Google or Apple or Facebook, not mm -hmm. necessarily in a car company where you have a digital product team. And the digital product team has UI UX designers and product owners slash product managers and also software developers. So that group defines the experience within that group and then can also execute and design that experience and even deliver the software on top of it. And that was still very much integrated and worked super closely with, for example, the exterior and the interior design team as well um, but it was more about designing from the inside out and maybe even designing from the backseat um, mm -hmm. outside and the ideally of course and that's still a very long way but ideally the core experience that you want to build and create defines all these other touch points really so that at the end of the day um, user experience is about emotion and so it's therefore about designing human-centered experiences. And therefore, technology should never be the driver, but only the enabler. And, mm -hmm. and haptic experiences are one part of it, but not the only one, if that makes sense. And maybe just to add one more thing, at the end of the day, a car is still one of the most complex products you can build. Mm -hmm. And you interact 
for example, with an infotainment system while driving. So even though we have more and more driver assistant systems and getting slowly, slowly into a time of um, autonomous driving still, it's dangerous if you get super distracted. And so in that context, for example, haptic feedback or some hardware um, modules that provide uh, good interaction definitely help and improve usability and make it safer to use as well. Did you have any, any, any problems in the collaboration with the haptic side? I mean, did they ever have the feeling you want to take something away from them or that this digital side is becoming more important in the process? Or how, how can I imagine a day-to-day life when developing a project such as, I mean, Faraday was from scratch. So I, I assume there was some, um, you know, let's say disagreements. I don't want to say arguments, but like, you know, there, there must have been obviously some challenges on the way and just to say, okay, who's, which is the priority or where, where do we put our egos uh, behind so that we make the best possible product? Um, so in my experience, um, it really depends a lot on the company. Um, I feel mm-hmm. um, in, in, in my experience with more traditional OEMs, um, the, the advantage they have, which is also huge, is of course they know how to build fantastic cars. What it takes, how long, um, what it takes, what the processes are, uh, what it takes to take an idea and bring it into production, um, and that at the same time is also a challenge, of course, because to break up these structures and maybe come up with something totally new is challenging because you have all these processes. So it's an advantage and a disadvantage at the same time. And with startups or other new mobility providers that go into the automotive space, you have more freedom um, to have a more maybe radical vision at the beginning. And then it's also easier to execute. And that is, for example, at Faraday, um, a lot of UX and experienced decisions have been made, not just looking at the car, but coming from an overall ecosystem perspective, because the car was just one piece of experiences within a broader ecosystem, mm-hmm. because it was really about integrating mobility into your life. So yes, that's a car, but actually we never thought about it just as a car, but it's, it's one piece of your daily life, one part of your daily life, and it's integrated into what you experience at home in your living room, um, on your TV, on your phone, on your computer. So it was more looking at this whole ecosystem, and that drove a lot of his um, decisions also on hardware and software in the car, um, both on haptic or not. And um, also the, the way we work is a lot about um, coming up with different proposals and testing them. So it's mm-hmm. definitely disagreements, yes, maybe, but then again, you don't just come up with an idea and execute, but... In fact, you really test, test, and test. And then and then um, we learn a lot, of course, through these tests and early prototypes and um, fail fast and often, but learn a lot while doing so. And then this really is a great foundation to make those decisions. So when we take this idea a little bit further, and you've, you've, you've just mentioned, obviously, something interesting, which is the idea of the experience overall versus a product ecosystem that comes with that. And we see that at the moment uh, with companies such as, you know, Uber uh, is doing that. We now have Canoe um, and, you know, then you have Hyundai investing in all these different companies. Arrival is part of this. I think, you know, Rivian is an interesting example as well. I'm asking you this, do I actually need to be a product provider? So somebody who builds a car or who builds a scooter um, to actually lead the experience and, you know, because I could just say like, I just partner with them and I tell them what I would like rather than just to do my, my own thing. Or is it still the more, or like a much stronger point of saying I can develop something in-house to maximize the experience that I would like to portray? Mm, I would say that same as you can see, just looking at your phone, um, your phone provides a lot of very different experiences based on which app you're using, basically. And you just integrate. And the core experience, basically, for example, is not that you touch uh, a piece of glass on your smartphone, but the experience that you get is the integration of all that data 
and the, the experience out of single or individual app that you're using more so. So I think in the mobility space, yes, of course, you need companies who can engineer and design amazing products from a hardware and software perspective. But I think, and I think Canoe is a good example for that, um, it's more about becoming an integrator in the future. And I don't think you necessarily need to be able to design and engineer everything in-house. In fact, I think it's more the opposite. I think I think we will see way more mobility providers that d- define a core experience coming from a new business model. You know, is it car subscription, car sharing, or totally different new models, um, also in the, in the ride-share space, for example. And they can then, coming from maybe scooters, go into vehicles or the other way around. And they can... They have a, at least a strong design in-house team, and even this is not necessarily required. Um, can can go to companies like I don't know Magna, Bosch, and so on, and they can mm-hmm. and and have their cars or vehicles, whatever it is, built there. So I think we'll see more of that actually, more of corporations. And I mean, it's interesting to see companies like Sony showing their car at CS. And yes, maybe they don't want to get into car space necessarily, but they can show how, or it was a good example of other industries being able to get into the space rather easily. At the same mm-hmm. time, of course, what we can also see looking at that new, new mobility space with Faraday and all these other companies, obviously it's not that easy to go into mass market and into mass production. So it's kind of definitely, I think, leveraging the experience Experience and expertise that traditional OEMs, but also tier one, tier two suppliers have, but then combining that with um, the speed and the different mindset of, I believe, like a more Silicon Valley mindset um, to come up with new mobility um, companies and products and services. Who's the front runner for you at the moment when it comes to these new mobility solutions? It sounds like. From, you know, I mean, we, we here in Munich, <laughs> we have literally just received a few months ago the scooter life. So, you know, we can move from A to B with the scooters now. But California, in particular, LA is obviously much more open, much quicker in adapting these things. Who is, who is, who is the front runner for you at the moment with these kind of new mobility solutions? Who has the most potential? It's a good question. Um, and I honestly don't have uh, an, uh, like a, just one single um, favorite here. But you're totally right. I mean, I'm lucky to be here in California because uh, that combination of, of pioneering spirit and, of course, capital um, and entrepreneurship really drives a lot of innovation. And, for example, here in Santa Monica, where we have our studio, um, I got rid of my car many years ago because A, mm-hmm. I switched to uh, a new model. I was using an app called Fair, and Fair is, was kind of a new you know, car subscription model where it's kind of between renting or leasing. So you, it's more like a lease, but you can get, return your car anytime, which is extremely comfortable. So it, you're not locked in into like a four-year lease anymore. Um, I my My public transport system here was actually either Uber or Lyft or their scooter and bike um, companies like Chump, mm. for example, because they're on every corner. Um, I don't even need a bike anymore. They're everywhere and I can just get a scooter, drop it wherever I get to. So basically I can really experience all these things here firsthand and very early, which is, which is great. And, and, and being here, I think, of course, Tesla for me is still one of the most innovative companies um, mm-hmm. and most progressive companies. Are their cars necessarily the most advanced, um, most sophisticated designed um, cars? No, not necessarily, but the thinking behind it is impressive. And the way, especially software drives um, a lot, what they do and the, 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 t- the speed to market of integrating new features like Netflix, Spotify, um, autonomous driving, that is impressive to me. And even though they're not selling yet millions of cars, uh, in terms of how they 
design, engineer, manufacture their cars and how they think and how they're structured internally um, and the potential they have moving forward, they're definitely um, top of my list here. At the same time, I think when we look more into the space of traditional OEMs, um, Volkswagen might, <laughs> interestingly enough, have a huge potential just because they are so huge and have so much money. At the same time, they also, at the same time, the disadvantage because they are so huge, they have these old structures. But still, I think the, they know how to build great cars. And I think now with their multi-billion dollar investments into electric mobility, um, they can be very interesting too. I mean, to me, it was kind of disappointing to see though at the same time that companies like BMW kind of go away from the new, new mobility space. You know, they basically stop investing into ride share and car sharing and mm -hmm. all these new mobility um, services, which I think they miss out. I, I get why they're doing that. Just need to earn a lot more money with just selling cars. But still, I think future will be in that space too. So I think that that's a, a huge opportunity they're going to miss at some point. What I find interesting, what we haven't seen so far is we've seen these new mobility companies. And I think Uber is very much on the forefront with this one, always partnering up with these more traditional, you know, mobility companies such as uh, Hyundai, uh, you know, obviously Microsoft, is partnering up with um, with uh, Volkswagen in, in in a little bit more of an advanced way. But why do you think that two very forward-thinking companies such as Uber and Tesla have not made it together yet? I mean, the potential would be from just, you know, the conversation that you know, we're having now would be so high and so much greater than maybe just working with, uh, Mercedes, uh, with, with, with Volkswagen. Excuse me. Why do you think this has not happened yet? I mean, the, the potential is just... Would, would just be incredible. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. I think, um, I, th I think right now in, in this particular case, I think both companies are just busy enough in getting their own business up and running and, and profitable. First of all, I mean, when you look at how much money Uber was losing over the last one, two, three, four years, mm -hmm. it's crazy. So I think what they actually did is now focus on their core business first and get that, you know, straight and in order um, also to make their shareholders happy. <laughs> but, but, um, and same for Tesla, by the way. But I think that's actually just a matter of time um, because I totally agree. I think, you know, for a company like Uber with all that data infrastructure, um, all the data they have, um, the new business models in, in ride sharing. And at the same time, as you mentioned, Tesla with all their expertise in building cars and autonomous driving. I think that could be a really great fit, a very interesting one. Um, maybe both companies are actually too big already, but if I would see like smaller ones that are a little um, younger and easier to bring together, totally. Um, I think it's just a matter of time. Yeah, it's going to happen. It's yeah. I, I was obviously thinking when you just said like smaller ones. I was thinking about like someone like Byton or um, you know you could probably even say Faraday, um, especially when it comes to Faraday from the uh, luxurious way of traveling. But uh, you know, I, I I do see so much more potential, and I think from everything that I see from these traditional car companies, understanding these new ways of doing things and the new ways of thinking it's very difficult to go through all the hierarchy and all the layers that comes with it. I mean, mm. uh, you can see it with Ford to a certain degree, you know, they're, they're opening up a bit now with Rivian. Uh, you can see you know, GM is still a little bit, you know, stale in those regards. So it's also a question of what is it that you want to be? And you've mentioned a BMW returning or like, you know, uh, moving, moving back from this kind of new mobility with the CEO pretty much saying we want to be the Airbus of the car industry, so we want to give you pretty much the car, but what you do with it is not really our problem. If you want to do a different interior with it, go ahead, you know, do whatever whatever you like. That's that's going to be interesting then to see because if really somebody is pushing towards that, 
then I could see someone like Uber maybe saying just like, oh, now we have a completely free hand on what we can do when it comes to uh, our autonomous driving and our experience as a whole. Because just imagine you give someone like Uber the opportunity to build your own car without actually building it. And the only thing that they really have to do is the interior. That would be almost like the holy grail for them. Oh, totally. Yeah. And, and I think that's <laughs> that's the super exciting times we're, we're in right now. I think, you know, all these also like mega trends of, of shared mobility and connectivity and so on, they really lead to radically new era of mobility, of course, but that requires and allows for the development of totally new ventures, products and service offerings. So I think there will be definitely a need for companies who can manufacture, you know, design, engineer fantastic cars for you and maybe uh, I'm Uber, but maybe I'm also Netflix and I'm going mm -hmm. to be just a content provider and I just want to reach or ex increase my reach from an extended from, from my phone and TV into the mobility space. And, and maybe actually in the future, we're going to see Netflix cars on the road because it's maybe autonomous, you know, when you think about 20 years out or it's about making the, the, the rear seat experience great and um, offer entertainment offerings while you're half an hour sitting in an Uber or a Lyft. And if Netflix then extends that and would think about creating like this fantastic real estate experience, when it's not necessarily just a Toyota Prius that picks you up and, and you have your phone, but this whole experience in, in the back, in the rear, um, supports entertainment or other content offerings or esports, gaming, and so on. Mm -hmm. I think I can totally see Actually, rather companies like that we don't expect at all at this point um, to get into middle space. And then if you have someone like BMW, um, and if they would offer companies like Netflix, like a premium vehicle based on what Netflix designs, though, not a BMW mm -hmm. necessarily, then I think that's a very interesting um, opportunity um, for both. So for me, actually, right now, it's more interesting to look at all kind of industries that are not in the mobility space yet. And I'm thinking a lot about, and we're working on, with companies on that, how we bring a non-mobility experience into the mobility space, like mm -hmm. entertainment mobility, esports and mobility, um, I, I don't know, financial industry and mobility. So I think that's actually an interesting, interesting space because these companies often also have more money to spend don't mm -hmm. have all this legacy and and can be more radical in creating new product experience that haven't been there before i'd like to go into a bit more detail on this one i mean this is when we're getting to like the higher levels of uh, you know mobility experience in general but you've probably seen this toyota announced that they want to build this um experience city for about two thousand people where pretty mm -hmm. much everything is based around the experience of, of, of a city rather than just about mobility. So, you know, how do I get from my, uh, you know, from my door pretty much to my, to my, um, uh, to the entry area, like the lobby of the building that I live in and so on and so on. Do we think that the experience will be driven by specific companies in the future? You just mentioned Netflix. When I had the, the podcast with, with Chris Bengel, he mentioned that the entertainment sector for him will be absolutely massive and a very quick and a very fast accelerator for everything that will happen in the future. Or do we maybe even go as far as saying the, the biggest accelerators and incubators could even be cities and just say we need to change something? Uh, obviously, you guys in America have much more space than we do over here, but I sometimes have the feeling that all these new technologies that we're, that we're seeing and that you know are getting closer and closer into our day-to-day -day life – will only be possible if the cities will play along and if they make space for that and if they if they are willing to change for these um you know for these kind of technologies which seems very feasible in china to a certain degree in the us as well but you know is is that going to be a global thing that's what i don't know yet because i see it here in munich i don't think it would uh, it would change from one day to another it would take you know probably decades if not even a century to to make the switch yeah, um, fantastic topic because I think that cities itself are definitely key to 
integrating or coming up with new mobility services because as you say you need new technologies you need sensors you need um, all kind of like connected um, technologies that enable these services um, I think it really really depends a lot on where you are as you say you can be maybe more radical and definitely faster and also innovative in China for sure um, the projects we see there or where we're involved in, you can definitely move way faster. Um, not always, that's not always, always great. Um, but definitely you can, you know, be faster. And, and by the way, I see a lot more innovation coming from China right now. I mean, they, they are leading in many ways, technology innovations and also experience innovations these days. Um, it's not just any more things coming from the West to China, but in many things like new mobility, of course, they're, far ahead um almost too far in certain mm -hmm. regards and then again the u.s has totally different challenges i mean here in los angeles where where, where i live with i don't know 20 million people in, in greater los angeles area um of course i mean there's almost like no public transport system um yes a little bit of metro a little bus but at the end of the day it's, it's like a eight nine ten lane highway experience which of course is not great and it's always traffic um and here we can see a lot of initiatives driven by the city of la to change that with um car sharing offerings um funded by the city of la um, a lot of investments into um public transport or a lot of support for electric vehicles of course i mean california was always like that also interesting that they are taking control back from a lot of these startups like Uber mm -hmm. and Lyft and scooter companies, you know, coming up with regulations on how to inter integrate these new offerings properly in, in a bigger ecosystem of mobility. So cities definitely going to play a huge role. Um, but then again, as much as cities are involved, it also means politics is involved and, Oftentimes, cities are also not the ones that have all the cash <laughs> at the end of the day, <laughs> which you need. And so that's these are factors that slow it down again. But you cannot really do anything without cities. And so they play a huge role. And um, you can also see more and more incubators um, popping up, um, especially in the US, but also slowly but surely in, in Europe, where you have um, already like a very integrated space where you have different companies and providers and also city officials working together on integrated mobility offerings. I think that's very, very interesting and exciting because these incubators and accelerators can move faster and they already integrate these different partners. So I think that's very interesting to, to look out for. So if I paint a very, very dark picture, do we, do we think that mobility and you know the, the the experience as an overall will be will be controlled by companies and con companies might be building their own cities just to kind of create an ecosystem that cannot be broken out of i don't really think so um i think we'll see interesting projects of course um and, and is it dubai with neon this this um There's quite a few similar projects, I think, at the moment. I think Dubai has one and uh, Toyota has one in Japan as well, where they they are all trying to build this ecosystem within an eco, you know, already ecosystem to, you know, just to kind of see what kind of control mm. you can do, like mm. what kind of control you can live under. And, uh, I mean, to a certain degree, we can see that in China already, you know, with uh, certain ways of how things are communicated, how you pay, you know, uh, certain countries becoming cashless. I mean, it's, it's, it's very little things that become part of this overall experience. But the question is, how far will it go? You know, I mean, in a cashless society, you could even go as far as the, the banks being in charge of everything of the experience that the city has because it is cashless. You know, it uh, can define everything around that. Uh, this can be good, you know, it can also be, be difficult, but there's, there's certainly a few kind of directions. We already see these new forms of mobility in particular being um, 
you know being affected by 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 the overall experience no of course i mean that's and that's as you say that's not just related to mobility but it's coming from all other areas as well from um financials to um the bigger discussions and everybody has an alexa at home or or um, have all these voice assistants and cameras and everything so i think it's a lot also driven by data privacy um as well so i think this will have a huge role and of course there we see a big difference between especially the us europe and china mm. like how we treat and, and how important maybe privacy is for people or not and how much regulation you have around that and actually that drives a lot of these decisions on what kind of experiences you can create i don't think that cities are going to um, or a brands are really going to start a lot of cities it's just way too much effort um, for them and it's also not the core mm-hmm. expertise for toyota to build cities however i do think that um the more one party can control the easier it is to implement something because you're faster and so i think it's interesting of course to see this that the mobility offerings um help or shape kind of the redesign of city that's for sure happening mm-hmm. um i can see it here just you know on a small scale in santa monica um since two years now we have scooter parking lots everywhere or we have new signs telling you that scooters you cannot drive here um don't park here um so i think to see how new mobility offerings shape the design of city and the other way around is of course very interesting um i think especially for autonomous driving, it's interesting when we look at um, companies that, for example, build or integrate autonomous um, public transport systems for like old, older people, like elderly people in retirement mm-hmm. homes or actually small cities. I think there's an interesting one in Florida with almost like 200,000 people living there and, and a company providing autonomous transportation there. And it's easier because you have a closed environment and then it's easier to implement that because you can mm-hmm. control traveling mobility. And then it's easier to push forward with, for example, autonomous mobility. Same for, for example, here in the U S with, um, university campuses, which are also huge. They're pretty much also, yeah. also cities in itself, but it's more controlled. And then you can come up with more, um, offerings like i don't know autonomous delivery robots for your pizza for example you know these things are happening and of course even more so in china already um so so yes it's both ways and you always need to think about the infrastructure and that can be a city that doesn't have to be but it needs to be integrated um especially since we have more and more mobility offerings happening at the same time from again like autonomous delivery robots drones scooters cars people just walking, you know, bicycles, mm-hmm. it's getting more and more complex too. And I think that's also the biggest struggle why, why we don't have fully autonomous cars uh, everywhere at this point because it's just still too complex to handle. Complexity is obviously something of very much interest when we talk about the, the space above us uh, where we have, you know, companies such as Uber and Lilium and Volocopter where you technically have a free space, uh, it is still controlled because obviously there are some kind of measurements by um, by um, by air traffic control and all these things. Is that actually for an experience factor, also for the products, of course, is that as the, the best kind of starting point that you can get? Or is that actually something where you say it's so unrealistic and it's so difficult to bring that to life that we should we should focus on on what happens on you know, on our streets pretty much? Um, I think almost nothing is unrealistic, really. I think we're, human beings, pretty, pretty great in, in, in creating amazing, amazing products and amazing technologies. So for me, it's more about um, time. Um, I think in that space, we're going to see a lot of these developments in parallel happening over the next 5, 10, 20 years actually. And I don't think, I don't see uh, mm, too many offerings right now replacing others right away, but more like a lot of coexistence and complementing offerings and services. 
So you will have for sure your Uber elevate um, a drone or a helicopter ride in, in three, four years. Uh, I'm pretty sure about that, but this is not going to replace my Toyota Prius ride share experience anytime soon, um, in my opinion. And But I think we're going to see, and that's, I think, what is exciting about it. We'll, we'll see more and more of these um, new offerings coexisting. And I don't even see the necessity necessarily that something replaces something else. It's more like coming up with new new offerings, which is really great. Um, but then again, I think what what is really needed, what is the, coming back to the, you know, a little bit customer experience and, and user experience, like what is really relevant for people? Mm-hmm. Because we can build a lot of things, right? But again, I think technology can be an, an enabler, but should not necessarily be, the driver. So just because we yeah. can build something doesn't mean necessarily that we really need it. And so this is also coming back to um, your very, very early question on like haptic and integration of hardware and software. I think, yeah, we can build it and we've done it before, but this doesn't mean that it's still the best way moving forward necessarily. So before we get to the end, um, I have this one last question about the topic, of course. Where do you see, and this is usually like, in, you know, when you go to a job interview question, like, oh, where do you see yourself in five years? Like, no. <laughs> what, what kind of trends do you see kind of transpiring in the next five years that are something that we don't necessarily understand right now, but something that we will be used to uh, in about five years time on a day-to-day level? And I mean that on a more global level. So not just like, you know, locally, maybe in China or something like that, but really on a global level where you would say, I'm, I'm not surprised that this has made it that far? Well, the, well, first of all, I think we're living in the most exciting times right now um, in, in that space um, because all these things are coming together. You know, all these technologies, and it's, not, it's really not just um, mobility. Um, it's really bringing all this together from robotics, artificial intelligence, um, and machine learning, of course, um, new business models. Um, I think what is super, super interesting is, um, of course, everything that's being enabled coming from um, AI and machine learning perspective, because I think this will drive a lot. So basically, really being able to develop extremely human-centered user experience based mm-hmm. on on artificial intelligence, because I know better who needs what, so it can come up with extremely personalized, um, relevant, fun, and easy-to-use experiences. And this just, you know, it just almost happens organically and naturally. Like, as of, I mean, now, uh, all, all of a sudden, now we have all the scooters everywhere. They're just there. Um, and it's not, it's not a big thing. Same with, I have my Alexa at home. I have um, Uber picking me up, like, in, in 10 minutes if I need to get to work right now. Um, we have all these connected experiences, and it's a, it's actually a, a radical transition, but it's happening in slow motion at the same time. So um, many of these things are just happening um, naturally, which is really interesting. It's about um, again, I think what what are trends I find very interesting. Um, Acceleration is a big one. So, you know, data, um, we have an era of exponential growth in data, robotics, and artificial intelligence. So that radically increases the speed of life in all areas. Mm-hmm. You know, we're always connected. Um, at the same time, and that's speaking about experience in general, um, because of that, I see a need for reduction. Because in this fast-paced environment, less is actually often more. And mm-hmm. and you have this overwhelming technology and an overflow of opportunities. And that actually needs to, that's not a big trend I will see um, is a, a need for simplicity and automation so that mm-hmm. these experience are just naturally and, and, and easy to use. Um, I definitely see conversions. What we also talked about a lot is actually when brands, products, customers also and services increasingly co-create experiences together um, I see a big trend that I would call redirection, which is 
in, in, in such a world where we have so much of everything and almost too much of everything that the experience itself becomes way more important than feature or the physical product. Mm-hmm. So the emotional connection to an experience and a product becomes very important. What do you really feel when you experience something? And related to that, it's what I would call divergence, which is, um, you know, in, in this world of mass production, globalization, people also want pe- um, experiences that are radically personalized to mm-hmm. their very own needs. And, um, and these are things that I can see, not just in mobility space, but since to me, that is really merging into all other spaces anyways, it's all about an experience at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you very much um, for having this lovely 45-minute conversation with you. But I, I will not let you go mm-hmm. um, before, <laughs> before I'm going to ask you the three famous questions at the end <laughs> of these uh, special editions. So just, uh, you know, if you listen to this podcast for the first time, for this is you know, episode or like, the uh, the editions, the um, special editions for the first time. I'm usually asking each guest three questions at the end, quite personal questions, uh, mm-hmm. but they always have something to do with their work. And uh, uh, just you know, short and sweet. Uh, you can be a little bit longer in terms of explaining why and all these things. So I leave that completely up to you. Uh, but Chris, here we go. First question: Who's the most influential designer and or person uh, you have worked with? Oh, <laughs> that's a good one. Um, you know, the, the very honest question, uh, the very honest answer to this is really, um, I've been very fortunate and lucky to work with a lot of extremely skilled and even more so inspiring, passionate people. Is it with my bodies at BMW? Um, is it with, with, you know, my guys at, at Icon Mobile um, or, or also for the future um, and even more so all the partner companies you work for and with? Too many. That's not just one single person. Too many. I get inspired every day by the people <laughs> I work with. So that's, I think, the, the best thing about, um, about that space I, I'm, I, I can uh, work in. And I'm lucky anyways that it's not work. It's just what I really love to do. So... And it's also not just designers, by the way. I've, I've found very interesting work with engineers who can come up with amazing software solutions or technologies or, um, you know, yeah. product managers who, who, who define an experience from a product standpoint and are able to bring that to market or, or you know, our strategists or researchers who identify and discover mm-hmm. these new trends that are happening everywhere. So um, it's really more about the team. It's always about the team. All right. Number two, which project you did not work on, would you have loved to work on? Ah, that's also a good one. <sighs> and this can be anything, by the way. Yeah. So this is not specific to a car or anything like that. This is purely about, uh, about passion. Well, I would have loved to be part of the, I would have loved to be part of the startup team at Uber or Lyft. Why? Um, because they were very early back then, you know, I think 2008 or 2009 when they came up with, with ride sharing as, as an idea, really, and brought it to market, came up with first MVPs to test it. And, and just to be part of, of, you know, I mean, I just love the startup world and that spirit there. And you can really create something and test it and bring it out there and be fast and be pioneering something. So I think um, to st- to be part of like an early uh, rideshare company when you, when you are very early in the market and you see for the first time how people react, are they going to use it, what to improve. I think that, that would have been very interesting. Um, gosh, there are many. I'll take that. I'll take that. This is the first one that comes to your mind. It's usually like, you know, the one that, um, that you have a good gut feeling about. So I'll, I'll take that all day long. And now, last but certainly not least, and this is a car question. Yes, yeah? so usually, <laughs> obviously, we, we, we talk about cars over here. So if you would have any money in the world, so I'll give you a blank check, mm-hmm. which car would you buy? Mm. 
It's a trick question. <laughs> uh, I really don't know. Um, that's a tough question. There's so many of them as well. You know, it's like either you know one right away, or you have like the selection of all these different ones, and then you try to put them into into a priority list. So, you know, you can you can name two or three as well if you want to. Like, I, don't, I don't I don't just put you down to one. If you have a couple, or like you know, whatever feels the most, the the, the whatever feels right for you. You know, if it's not if it's not necessarily my. Um, it's funny because even though I'm so much into technology and user experience and all these new services and so on, I think that's definitely my daily life. Um, so I, this is why, again, I don't even need a car really living here in Santa Monica because I have all these other options. Yeah. However, because I have all these other options, I think I would get a car that uh, is really mainly about just the driving experiences. Um, and has almost no technology. It's just a fantastic car. Um, and Martin, I think, I think I would get an old Ford Bronco. Nice. Yeah, an original one. That w- that's a car I would I would buy. And they have some very nice ones over here, actually. That's the car. You know, I they've, have. You know if they've just uh, there's a company out there that is now uh, electrifying them. Yeah. Which I think is super just, interesting, yeah. So I think... Yeah, this, the retro mod is a, is a very interesting concept that's happening at the moment. Yeah, I think the... Uh, I can see myself here in an old Ford Bronco, maybe electric. Um, I think that would be the car I would choose, yeah. Cool. All right. So, Chris, once again, thank you very much for doing this. Uh, we, we, had, we had a lot of fun. Uh, great conversation as well. I think, you know, it gave a little bit of what is beyond traditional car design nowadays and uh, how everything is now becoming and is already interconnected so i do appreciate you taking you know uh, an hours of your time this morning uh, out of your schedule to have this conversation with me and to all of our listeners thank you very much for once again uh, listening in listening to to us having these conversations with very relevant people within the industry and as always do not forget to follow us on social media you can find myself at a concept house on instagram chris where, where can the people find you you're on instagram as well i think eh? i'm on instagram too um i'll share the link with you later <laughs> <laughs> and we'll put it into the show notes so that you can all stalk uh, chris uh, living the life in california <laughs> and uh, and of course, yeah, then you can find him on LinkedIn as well as uh, at Christian Eckert, uh, working for Icon Mobile over there. So, Chris, thank you very much. And to all the listeners, um, you will hear back from us very soon with another episode and probably with the next one, which is the review of the Geneva Motor Show. Thank you very much. Take care. Chris, cheers. Martin, thanks so much. It was a great pleasure. That was uh, uh, fantastic. Thanks for having me. And that went by way too quickly. Um, we'd have to continue. We should do another one. We can do another one. Uh, and let's hope it's not going to take for that long. But uh, <laughs> thank let, you so much. Let's do episode two. Cheers. Yes. Take, take Cheers. Bye bye.